John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And the Bible speaks here, y'all, of the living water. God's Spirit is referred to as the living water. This is not the only place. Old Testament and New Testament, you will see the Holy Ghost referred to in that term, in that picture of being the living water. And Jesus says, come to him to receive. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he says, for believers, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is not just a figure of speech. When you're praying, you can feel basically in that part of your body, that's where you feel the Holy Spirit rising up as far as like if you're praying in the prayer language or have an unction in the spirit kind of thing you feel it there and uh, but it says he that believeth on me as the scripture said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water what is he talking about it explains right here this spake he of the spirit the holy spirit was not given in the fullness as far as like the baptism of the holy spirit until the day of pentecost on the church but uh, and he said he that believeth after, because Christ was not yet at the time that he was saying this glorified to where the Holy Spirit could be given in that way. Uh, but I want to I want to read another scripture here from you don't have to turn there. But Jesus is dealing with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. They had no dealings the Jews and Samaritans with each other. They were very, very segregated in their everything where they lived, their businesses, who would come to their house to eat their everything, the schools, their worship, everything was very segregated. And Jesus was dealing, talking to this woman at the well. And he says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith thee to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoso drinketh of this water, speaking about the literal water from Jacob's well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. So the Holy Spirit, y'all, that Dee just sang about, we hadn't planned on singing that last song, I'm glad she did. But the Holy Spirit, y'all, is referred to as the living water of God. And there's no Christianity without Jesus Christ. There's no life in Christ without the Holy Spirit. And there's no, uh, there's no walk with the Lord at all. There's no cleansing without the blood of Jesus. But I want to talk this morning a little bit. We see very clearly in the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is referred to as this living water. Okay? But also it says in Ephesians chapter 5 that... Uh, Jesus was speaking about the husbands love your wives as Christ loved his own body and gave himself for it that he may wash and sanctify and wash it with the wa- uh, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. I'm going to just quote it again. It says that speaking about the church as born again people that he may sanctify and cleanse it 
with the washing of the water by the word. So the, wa the word of God is also uh, referred to or pictured as being water as well because of its ability to cleanse. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit. I know when Jordan and Patricia talked last week in the Sunday school class, they talked about the, their, their topic was the new birth. And we talked about being born again. And it says, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born of the water, right, and of the spirit. And I believe, and most Bible scholars, when you study it, they think that the water, being born of water, what Jesus is referring to there, some people say it was just a natural birth, you know what I mean, like birth from the mother. And it could mean that, but it also could mean being born of the Word of God. You must be born of the Word and of the Spirit. And that would not be uh, out of line with the Bible at all, or out of line with the Scriptures, because it says in First Peter, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the living Word of God. And so, but I want to talk about this this morning for a little bit, that he says there, there's no life in the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit in all that we, we do. There's no life in Christ without Christ. There's no... Uh, in the, in the, when you say, for example, this, this girl, Chevelle, that he prayed with yesterday, when she asked Jesus to come into her heart, if she meant that by faith, and she knows and the Lord knows, okay, then the Holy Spirit, Christ, came into her heart in the person of the Holy Spirit. Our body is now, when we're saved, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He takes up residency there. We're born of the Spirit. It's a new birth. It's not the natural birth. This 25-year-old woman with hepatitis B is sitting out there, has drug problems and everything else, and at that moment, if she meant what she meant by faith, and even the grain of a mustard seed faith, she was born again, and the Holy Spirit took up residency, and He'll never leave her nor forsake her. She's a new Christ. Now, she'll have to grow, and like we all do, and mature, um, just like a baby grows and, and a baby Christian has to grow. But y'all, the Bible says that there's no sanctification apart from the Word of God. Okay? There's no life in the Spirit without the Spirit. And there's no sanctifying and sanctification in the life of a born-again man or woman or young person apart from the Word of God. That's what we're going to talk about. If we have one main verse and you want to jot it down, it's Ephesians 5. 26, that he may wash and cleanse it. It says they may wash and sanctify it with the, uh, the washing of the water of the word. It's, there's no sanctification apart from the living word of God. It can't be any other way. You can't grow mature as a Christian. You can't become more like Jesus. You can't become more holy apart from a steady diet or a steady intake of the word of God. The Lord not only washes us in His blood and washes our sins away, but He takes the Word of God and begins to wash us like morally and cleanse our minds and so forth. You know, think about all the years. Some of y'all might have been saved as children, but, but some of that were maybe saved later in life, truly born again later in life. All the years you spent with thinking like the world thinks and, and the, the memories and the thoughts and the sins that may still be on your mind and so forth. And we come to Christ and before you knew Jesus, you might have just gone along with the crowd and thought homosexuality is okay. If that's what they want to do, it's fine. What's the big deal? Or somebody, uh, you know, living in fornication before they get married. Well, everybody in the world does it. 
what's what's wrong with that? But you get saved and those you begin to realize those things are wrong, right? And you still have some of those old mindsets that God has to begin to cleanse. He does it by the washing of the water, washing with the water of the word. He begins to cleanse our minds. Yes, the Holy Spirit is present to give us those convictions and so forth as well. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and makes it real to us. The Holy Spirit takes it from being just black and white print on a paper and takes it and makes it the living Word in our hearts and lives as it really is. And But the, but it's the, the cleansing comes, right? By the washing of the water with the Word. So you're not going to be sanctified. This girl, Chevelle, nobody's going to be sanctified. doesn't mean you can't be born again, but you're not going to be sanctified and grow in Christ apart from the Word of God. And so we come together and we study the Word of God on Wednesday night studying Hebrews. And we preach the Word of God, you know, on Sunday mornings in Sunday school. You can't have too much of that. Now, it's not so that our heads get really enlarged, okay? And we get to be like a big egghead, like a professor of, of something, you could be a professor in a seminary and not be born again. And you can name all the, the tribes of Israel and, the, and you know what I mean, memorize books of Scripture and not be born again. So it's the life of the Spirit. That living water takes the water of the Word and makes it real to us and gives us understanding and imparts it to us and makes us that. Y'all, Christianity is real, okay? Christ is real. Our relationship with the Lord is real. This is not just some uh, made-up thing like some other religion that's just made up and and it's a bunch of fairy tales like Mormonism or something like that. You know, Mormonism, uh, and this is not uh, picking on it, but there's no basis of reality to it at all. Supposedly, according to Mormonism, there was this ancient... Uh, civilization in America before the Native Americans, like uh, like Egypt almost. But nobody's ever found any artifacts or any proof to that. You understand what I'm saying? And that um, that the angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith when he was disgruntled with Christianity. He wasn't born again. He was just disgruntled with the religion and his church. And, and came and gave him this Urim and Thummim and gave him these tablets and special glasses to read it through and this special revelation that came just for them. Then we went back later to look for it. Oh, it, it wasn't there. You know, the, the tablet and the glasses. And I know this is just bizarre. It's a made-up fairy tale. There's no basis to that at all. But there is to Christianity, it's real. It's a real experience with God it's a real relationship with God where we're really born again and His Holy Spirit really lives inside of us and it's all based upon the Word of God. It's not just made up and pulled out of thin air. Okay? Because it's seven, if there's 7 billion people on the planet, there would probably be 7 billion different experiences that people could talk about. Somebody being an atheist or they had this encounter with an angel or they had this near-death experience or this one died and saw heaven and came back from the dead. A million different experiences that people could talk about. But the Word of God cuts through all of that. Yeah. And it's the washing of the water by the Word that people are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, who is every, much, every bit as much God as the Father and the Son, He's the one that comes and lives in us, Christ in us, 
by the Holy Spirit, takes the Word of God and begins to sanctify us and begins to work on us. It is based upon the unchanging, authoritative, living Word of God. Our doctrine must be biblical. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? What we, doctrine is not some big, fancy, scary theo, theological word. Doctrine is simply means teaching. It's what we believe. And we're, we're uh, exhorted and told and warned of the doctrine of the Pharisees, for example. We're, we're exhorted not to go to, after false doctrine, <laughs> false Christ. Our doctrine is to be biblical. There is a way to rightly divide the Word of God. If, it, if there wasn't, then the Word of God wouldn't tell us to do that. Right? Line upon line, precept upon precept, here or there, here a little, there a little. And a doctrine is built. It's built from Genesis to Revelation. It's not built, say, for example, Calvinism, where you could pick up one or two scriptures and just look at that. And I've always said if I had those one or two scriptures, then I would be a Calvinist too, if that's all I had. But that's not all that I have. I have whosoever will. We just read it in John. Whosoever is thirsty, let him come and drink. Come to me and, and drink. We see it all through the Bible. And so uh, our doctrine is to be biblical. Our, and it's not based uh, upon our experiences. Our experiences are based upon our doctrine. Does that make sense? I don't have this experience and then build a doctrine around it to get a following because I had this experience. And there have been people, uh, big, big time, I would say charismatic type leaders, and every one of them has their own, own little gimmick almost. I mean, when I say charismatic, I mean not, not biblically charismatic. I mean like over the top and they get into false things. Like uh, people that had dreams and, and they'll share this dream and it was uh, something that was just unique to them. You understand what I'm saying? And then they build a teaching and a following around that experience that they had or a dream that they had. The Bible says no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That means what Reynolds gets from the Bible, uh, he might have some dream I don't have, but he's not going to get a following after him because of this dream. We're going to follow Christ. Amen. He might have some experience that I don't have. Alberto might, in his prayer time, be caught up to the third heaven and have something happen in his life that I've never happened in my life. But it has to be biblical. He's not going to build a religion around that experience. We're going to build it upon the Word of God. It's forever settled in heaven. It's unchanging. It's eternal. It's authoritative. It has the authority and the power. It's part of our church doctrine and what we believe. So our experiences must be biblical. Our hope is biblical. You know, somebody, you've been to a funeral or heard of uh, funeral, or there's just the way people talk when somebody dies. Let's say he's a football coach, and you don't even know if he was Christian or not. Maybe you know he wasn't. Oh, he's going to go to that big football field in the sky, you know. And, you know, and it's just all these little, uh, these little sentimental kind of phrases. But our hope is to be biblical. What does God say we have? It's not a big football field in the sky for a football coach. It's heaven. It's streets of gold. You know, it's it's being in the presence of the Lord. Where there's no more tears and crying or death and sin and temptation. It's going to be a lot better than that. But people just go with these little thoughts. But our thoughts need to be biblical. We're going to be sanctified. And we're going to grow in Christ. It's not going to be because Clarissa goes off and, and folds her legs in a yoga position. And, and has this experience with God. It's going to be... It's not that she, she might couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it. 
it's gonna, and that's how a lot of people, even within Christianity, we follow after signs and wonders. The Bible doesn't say we follow after signs and wonders. The Bible says signs, these signs will follow them that believe. And what do they believe in? They believe in the gospel. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Bible. Fundamental sound doctrine. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I don't have to come up with something that people have never heard before. Amen. We just need to preach it. Paul told Timothy he was about to die. He knew he was going to be beheaded. Paul was. And he exhorts his young disciple, who's pastor of the church in Ephesus, I charge you before God, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. The time will come when they, will, uh, they won't endure sound doctrine anymore. They won't abide it. They won't stay under it. We're there. This is not new to our age, but it's increased in our age. He said that they're going to heap unto themselves teachers having itch and ears. And I think it's the people having itch and ears. They want a teacher to come scratch it. And they want the teacher to scratch it with something they've never heard before. That really just piques their interest. That's exciting and new. And that's why this, this evangelist has to have their own dream and their own interpretation and get this group to follow them. If you want this, you need to go to Brownsville, to Pensacola, or the, you know, Toronto for the Toronto blessing. And that to me is similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. If they say here, he's in the desert, Christ is in this desert place or a secret chamber, don't go after him. Don't go after him. It's going to be, I don't know that's speaking about Christ, but still, that would be similar to that. Uh, you've got, if you're going to get healed, you have to go to this place. And, or you have to go to this pastor or this evangelist. And I don't believe that that's what, there's nowhere you could show me that in the Bible. We need to get to the Lord, and we can. We can get to Him under an oak tree. We can get to Him in some underground church in China where they're hiding out in a basement of somebody's house or out in the woods. You can get to Him. Um, and so our, our experiences need to be biblical, our hope needs to be biblical. Our growth in Christ has to be biblical, and if we're going to be if we're going to be sanctified, which it is, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. If you're going to grow in the Lord, if I'm going to grow in the Lord, if your children are going to grow in the Lord, it is going to be by a steady intake and an understanding and a holding to the Word of God. It is not going to be because some new movement swept through. I'm not against the move of the Holy Spirit. and He may move more openly or in special ways at certain times. I'm not going to limit what God can do. But even a move of the Lord that might sweep across our country in 2017 or whatever is still going to line up with this if it's really God. Amen. It's absolutely going to line up with this in every aspect of it. There'll be no part of it that we say, well, I know this isn't really biblical, but look at all the good that's coming from it kind of thing. We, we're not to do that. I'm not the judge of those things. I mean, I am a judge, but I'm, I mean, the, the Word of God judges it. Mm -hmm. Like Clinton used to say too, like, oh, you're, you know, people say you're judging me because I'm this or that or the way I dress or I'm not saved. Or, and he goes, no, God's Word's already judged that. God's Word's already judged it. His Word will deal with that. And, and that's the truth. But it says in 1 Peter 2, 2, if you're taking notes, that as newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. That growth is part of our maturity spiritually. It is our sanctification. So as newborn babes, 
desire. That word desire in English just, you know, kind of like I would want it. But when you look that up in the, in the in Greek, it means to crave. To crave. So as newborn babes, and you've seen them. We got some little newborn babes in our church. When little uh, Isaac back there is hungry, he's not going to ask politely, may I have a bottle? Okay? <laughs> he's just not going to do it. He's gonna, he, he doesn't know anything else. His body tells him when it's hungry, and he begins to crave it, and it's time. And mama or daddy better get him that food quick, or there's going to be trouble, okay? And so that's the word, is newborn babes to, to crave the milk of the word. It's like almost an, an, an admonishing, crave it. He's telling you, crave it. You don't have to tell a baby to crave milk. He already does. But you might have to tell a believer, hey, you need to desire God's word. You need to go to it. It's, it's These things like, like prayer or the word of God, for example, to me almost have a, uh, it's almost like a loop effect. The more, I, the more I read the Bible, the more I understand God and grow in God. The more I understand the Lord and grow in God, the more I want to read the Bible. See, they, they, they help each other out. So that's why I don't wait until a feeling hits me to go read my Bible. I read my Bible every day because by faith I know what the Lord has told me and there's a benefit and reward coming to me for it. I need it. Okay? And I pray. I don't wait till a feeling comes over me that I want to go get on my knees and pray and lift my hands to God. I begin to pray. And then as I do that, God begins to, to move in my life. You see what I'm saying? And, and they, they help each other. Again, the more I pray, the more God grows me in my prayer life. And I want to pray more. And the more I come to church or fellowship with the people of God, the more I want to do that. The more I go to His Word. So, sanctify them, Jesus said, as he, the night before uh, He was going to be, the night He was arrested. And He said, sanctify them, His disciples, by thy truth, thy word is truth. We know that scripture in John 17, 17. How are they going to be sanctified? By thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. So we're to desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word. The Lord washes and cleanses his church by the washing of the water of the word. And we crave it. And that's how we grow. And not only do our, our, our beliefs need to be biblical. Okay? You cannot just believe whatever you want and be okay with it. People do that, but in the end, it's not going to profit. You can believe whatever you want, but that doesn't mean it's true. Okay? You can sincerely believe what you believe and be wrong. You can be sincerely wrong. Alright? What about the Hindus? They really believe that. Well, then somebody needs to bring them the gospel. We need to pray for them. That's why we ought to have compassion for their souls. Because they might really believe what they believe. But they can believe it and be sincerely wrong. Sincerity is not enough. We have to believe the truth. It matters what we believe. Okay? It matters what we believe and who we put our trust in. So not only does our belief, our beliefs have to be biblical and line up with the Word of God, but when we go to the Word of God, it's the Word of God is, that is going to produce those things in the life of the person. You understand what I'm saying? If I went to a Hindu, it's going to be by the Word of God that they're born again. So the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it's his word. It's going to not only it's going to produce what needs to be produced. And it cannot, cannot be otherwise. I know we talked about it in Sunday school a few weeks ago, but uh, 
we have to have the Word of God. When you, if somebody's going to be born again, they're not going to be born again some other way besides this way. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Don't get tired of it. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. Thank God when you go witnessing that you don't have to make up something. Well, I'm, re I'm, I'm trying to witness to an alcoholic. I'm trying to witness to a black person. I'm trying to witness to a white person. I'm trying to witness to a rich man, a poor man. It doesn't matter. A young person. Well, what about this younger crowd? What is the music they listen to? That I need to kind of get into that and find out what they're all about. No, you don't. They're in sin. They need Jesus. Okay? Yes, you can strike, strike up a relationship the best you can, but when the rubber meets the road, it comes down to it, that rich, wealthy man on Wall Street or the one begging for beer or money, so you can buy beer on Wall Street somewhere, are both going to be born again but this same way. And guess what? They're both going to grow in Jesus the same way. And so are you. And so am I. It's going to be by the Word of God. I want to look at this uh, for just a moment. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I've been reading through the Gospels. This, we're not going to read the whole parable. This is one of the most familiar parables in the whole Bible. It's, it's written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, so three of the four Gospels have the parable of the seed and the sower. And I just want to pick up in verse 5. Luke 8, verse 5. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Skip down to verse 11. He explains it to his disciples. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's what we're talking about all morning long. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside, that was the first one that were mentioned, are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So they weren't saved. They believed what they heard, but they weren't, they weren't all the way there. You don't understand what I'm saying? They, they agreed with it, nodded their heads, but like we talked about, they hadn't come to a place of repentance and surrender to the Lord. And even immediately, it says in one of the other Gospels in the same parable, immediately the devil took it. He wants to attack the Word. If I just talked all day long to a person, poor man that was maybe an alcoholic, whatever, and all day we became buddy-buddies. Satan has no problem with that. You know, if I gave him some new clothes and helped him find a job and get into AA, that Satan has no problem with any of those things. But when I said, can I share the gospel with you? You don't have to live this way. God didn't create you to live. I tell people that all the time. I tell myself, but I'll see people come, uh, you know, begging for money or whatever, and I'll say, God didn't make you to live that way. Never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's seed begging for bread. He made you for a purpose. He made you for His glory. And He loves you. And can I share the gospel with you? God didn't make you live. As soon as you do begin to do that, the devil wants to snatch, to take it away. Immediately. Okay? Alright, let's keep reading. Verse 13. They, they, on the rock, they on the rock are they which when they hear, 
received the word with joy. So these people have heard it, and with joy they received it. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in a time of temptation fall away. Now I want to skip down to verse 16. No, I'm sorry, verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Out of the four scenarios, okay, out of the four scenarios, only one benefited, only one prospered in the thing that God sent it to do. Only one had the end result that the Lord wanted it to be from His work. All those others are legitimate. They're real. They're people that fit in every one of those scenarios. Okay? But only one brought forth fruit. And the Bible says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So only one of those four scenarios brought glory to God. Only one benefited the person and glorified God. And that's the one that heard it and kept it. And we're going to talk about I want to read a, a couple more scriptures just that I had, had written here. You don't have to turn there, but I said this same parable, we know it's very familiar, comes from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And from Matthew it says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. So this is a little bit more detail. Here's somebody that hears the word of God and understands it not. It says, Then comes the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. That was the first one. Okay? The devil took it away. But he that received seed into stony places, that's the one that fell on the rock. The same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he no root in himself, but endures for a while. For when the tribulation of persecution arises because of the word, because of the word, Tribulation and persecution arises in a lot of different things in life. But specifically in a believer's life, it's going to come down to your testimony for Christ. Where, where we might all suffer if our country was attacked or inflation went up to 20% or something. We'd all be going through a tribulation. But specifically in the life of a believer, it is because of the Word of God. That's why you're persecuted and your co-workers not. Okay, that's why you're persecuted and the rest of the high school students in your school are not. They might have other troubles that are just common to the world. But you and I are persecuted for the word's sake. It says he has no root in himself but endures for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. And in Mark it says, and these are they... Likewise, which are sown on stony ground, and when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. Immediately they're offended. Now, this is the first, uh, the first couple in the, in, the, in, the, in the example. First one falls in, uh, on the wayside. It didn't fall on the good ground. And it was easy picking for the devil. Immediately he grabbed it. Okay, and took it away. So it never had any hold in their lives. Satan snatched it away and they let it. He can't, he can't take it if you don't let it. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just sovereign up to him to do that. And the next fell on stony places. And there was a little bit of dirt. 
Okay, I got some place on my back porch where it rains real hard. Some of the flower bed washes off and it covers the, the patio out here. And then some little weeds can actually spring up in that little bit of dirt. It takes about one day. I got weeds growing on my patio, okay? Because the dirt's there and they're not really going to grow and become an oak tree or anything. But they're little weeds right there. And it, but they're not going to live. The sun could scorch it. Or I'm going to pull them, one of the two. And they're not going to live there. But uh, these hear the word and Satan immediately takes it. And the Bible, it says, takes it out of their hearts. And y'all, that's where the word of God has to be. The word of God cleanses our minds. We're renewed in the spirit of our minds. But if it's going to dwell anywhere, it has to dwell in our hearts. David said, that word have I hid where? In my heart that I might not sin against thee. He hid in his heart. It affected his life. It changed his life. He didn't sin like he used to anymore. And he did it for that purpose. I'm going to take the word of God beyond my mind. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to say, seal it in my heart. Make me this. That's why we have an altar. You hear the word of God preach, and you might leave here, and you not, might know this, this parable better than I know it or the, you know anybody else. But if we don't take it and seal it and get on our knees and say, God, I want to take your word, and I need it. I want you to do this in my life. I'm not measuring up to that word that convicted me or whatever. I'm in my preaching or witnessing, I don't share the gospel enough. I talk too much about my personal life or experiences. And I'm kind of ashamed a little bit and embarrassed maybe at work to share the gospel because I might be ridiculed. Help me. You see what I'm saying? Take it and bring it before the Lord. And he begins to sow it in our heart. But that word that I really wanted to focus on this morning was the one that fell on stony places. It fell on a rock. It fell on stony places. This is different descriptions of the same thing. Places where it had not much earth is what it said. And it says these people hear and receive. They hear and receive quickly and gladly the word with joy. So there's an initial acceptance of it. Okay? We invite... 25 people to our house for a Bible study and we share the gospel and some people get really excited about it at that moment, alright? Now only they and the Lord know are they going to go on from there? You know what I'm saying? Are they going to go on from there to where it brings forth fruit? But it says they, with joy they initially received it. That's a good thing. But it said they had no root in themselves, no depth. They endured for a while but it says they fell away in a time of temptation. You know, that word fall away literally means apostasy. That's what that word apostasy means, a falling away. They fell away when? In a time of temptation. The sun scorched it. It withered. It didn't last at all. It says some fell on stony places where it had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Okay, why did they wither? They didn't have much earth, and therefore it says in another in Luke they didn't. There wasn't much moisture. So if we're talking about the word of God being water, maybe it's saying there they didn't have much uh, moisture there. Nothing can live without water. Even the human body is seventy percent water, roughly. Okay, and I was just reading it. You know, we can live uh, two to three weeks a person can without food. But they can only live three to five days, typically, without water. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Um, water is so important. Nothing's going to grow. The plant's not going to grow. We're not going to grow apart from the Word of God. The sower in this parable is good, right? The sower was good. And see, the, 
the Lord or the preacher or the person who's bringing the word of God. The, the seed was good. That's the word. It tells us the seed is the word. The only variable from place to place was the, the ground upon which it fell. The only variable in this whole equation was the ground. The ground is specifically speaking about the hearer. The hearer. We have hearers here today, including myself. Right? We're hearers. And that's a variable from person to person. The, the Lord's good. The Word's good. He sent it out. And He sent it out for a purpose. That it would accomplish what He sent it for to do. And prosper in the thing whereunto He has sent it. There's power in the Word and so forth. But it only uh, brings forth fruit in one of those scenarios. In one of these types of soil. And it had to do with the heart of the hearer. It had to do with the heart and the faith of the believer. We can hear the word of God and it be wonderful and perfect and beautiful. And the best sermon we've ever heard. The clearest presentation of the gospel. But it has to do with the hearer. The hearer's heart. And what does he do with it? With too much is given, much is required. Somebody's given the gospel... Even if they're only given it one time, they're given a lot, y'all. So it says, let me tell you about the maker of heaven and earth, his son, Jesus Christ, and his plan for your life, and the eternal salvation he has for your life. I'm going to share the gospel with you. And they really sit there and listen and give you time to unfold the gospel to them. They've been given a lot. Too much is given, much is required. We're given a lot. Your children are given a lot to come and hear the Word of God preached and taught and in your homes and here over and over. We become responsible for that because like these in the parable, Jesus said, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, your ears have become dull of hearing. They heard it all the time and they just got tired of hearing it. It just went in one ear and out the other. Their ears got dull of hearing. Their hearts have waxed gross and that's where the Word of God needs to get but it can't get in there. Because there's a hard covering over it of unbelief. In their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should hear, see and hear and believe and I would convert them. So the responsibility fell upon them. Because the seed was good and the sower was good. And it went to them and it had much given to them. But their heart was hard. And they didn't receive. I want you to turn your Bibles with me um, to Amos. And look in your Old Testament to Amos chapter 8 verse 11. Amos 8, uh, verse 11, we're going to read through 13. Behold, the days come. I'll give you time, it's hard to find Amos. Uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, okay? That's how they fit. If you found one of those, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Amos chapter 8. All right, it says, Behold, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Of hearing it. The famine is not going to simply be there's a shortage of the word. There's, the famine is going to be in the hearing of the word of God. A famine. Where people are not hearing it. I don't think there's ever been an age in the history of this planet where there was more Christian... Uh, media or curriculum or you know churches than there is today and access on your phones 
Bible Gateway and every whatever version, translation of the Bible, everything you want. But for people to hear it in this sense that he's talking about, there's going to be a famine. Hearing for hearing the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, and shall run to and fro, and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it, because they're not hearing what God's given them. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst, because water, the uh, word is referred to, or picture characterized as being water. And so there's going to be a famine. I wonder. I wanted to read some statistics here. Any of y'all get Dave Hunt's letters and, and read them, the Berean Call? Okay, the, this last one, it had uh, one of the little articles. This is from May 30th of this year, so just a month and a, less than two months ago. A, a expert, I mean, a survey was done by the Barna Research, and it says only 30% of born-again adults. Okay, so think about it. We go to people and say, are you born again? Self-proclaiming born-again people. And of those people that say, I'm born again, only 30% have a biblical worldview. So how many, what percent is the population you think has a, you know, as a whole? Very minute. Those that would call themselves born again, only 30% of them have a biblical worldview. Y'all, if, if the word's not affecting our view, if the word's not affecting our view of the world and of life and of man and of everything else, what good is it? What good is it at all? That's that this becoming unprofitable. The Word of God is having no real effect upon my life. It absolutely ought to change my life. If I thought homosexuality was okay, and then I got born again, I go to the Word of God, it needs to affect me 100% the other way. Amen. Yes, have compassion. Try to reach them. You don't avoid them like they have the plague. Go to them with the Word of God. Love them. Okay? But if it doesn't affect me, and changed my view of the world and, and everything in it, then it's of no use. God gave it for a purpose. It is to have authority. That's how I'm sanctified. That's how I grow. That's how I'm to live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by everywhere that proceeds from the mouth of God. The same survey said almost 90%. This is of those that are, say that they're born again. Describe God as all-knowing. Well, that's good. All-powerful creator of the universe. But only 25% believe that all sinners are going to hell if they're not saved, if they don't give their life to Christ. So, 90% think God is all-powerful and all-knowing and, and the creator of everything. <clears throat> but only 25% of self-proclaimed born-again people think that if you're not born again by the faith in Jesus that you're going to hell. They believe everybody's ultimately going to be saved. He says there's, there's almost a, uh, there's a belief in universalism, and that's what that is, that everybody's going to go to heaven. According to the survey, only 40% of born-again believers think success is defined by obedience and commitment to Christ. They, they instead believe success is basically the world's definition. You know, your bank account, your popularity, your positions and authorities. Um, he goes on to make just a comment that the, the church needs a, uh, a, needs a steady dose of the frank preaching and biblical teachings of the Word of God. And I agree with that. But, you know, the Word of God has to have some effect upon us. In fact, it's, it's what to, ought to totally affect our lives. It's not the Word of God and something else. 
It's the Word of God, period. If something else is in agreement with the Word of God, then praise God. You understand what I'm saying? Then that's wonderful. But it shouldn't even be a debate in our lives or in raising our children and so forth. I want to read just a couple of scriptures. When it, when it said that, for example, that uh, in the parable that they were offended, tribulation arose because of the Word's sake and they were offended. That word offended means to stumble to entrap, to entice, to apostasy, apostatize, to sin. So the word comes to them, and that those on stony ground, they received it and said, this is awesome, this is great. And they take about two steps, and all of a sudden they take a little heat for it, or a little ridicule for it, or you lost some friends over it. You know what they say quickly? These people say quickly, it ain't worth it. It's not worth it. People do that all the time, right? People do that all the time. They come some point, and some may go a lot further. They might do it for six weeks, six months, a year, I don't know. And then, and, and they can handle this persecution, this one, but something really offends them later. Like their spouse is not a believer. They got saved after they got married. Their spouse isn't a believer. And so, the spouse says, if you're going to stay saved, I'm not living with you. And the person says, well, I sure don't want to get divorced. This is too costly. I'm going to forsake Christ and keep my husband and my wife. People do that. Okay? I pray it's not often. But the point is that people come to a place where the offense, they're offended because of the word's sake. And I would simply say, who isn't? Who isn't? Who in this room hasn't been offended at some point or ridiculed or mocked? Or taking some very legitimate, I mean not legitimate, like real uh, heat, so to speak. In other words, living for God costs you something. It costs you something to live. Maybe it costs you some friends. Maybe it costs you a promotion. Maybe it costs you, you know, tenure at some university where you're not going to get it because you're a Christian in the science department. You know what I mean? And you get overlooked. It happens. It happens. And we need to count the cost. And we need to be willing to not get hard-hearted or bitter and stumble because of it. Y'all, it's not going to be that way forever. The Lord is going to bring us through. He's going to bring us out. This world is not our home. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus said in that same chapter we was talking about sanctifying them by thy truth. He said, I've given them, his disciples, thy word, and the world hath hated them. He puts it in direct comparison with the word. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. If the Lord is not of the world, then I want to be like him. Amen? I want to not be of the world, just like he's not of the world. I don't want to be weird just to be weird, and be uh, obnoxious to people just to be obnoxious. Jesus wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't a jerk. He wasn't uh, bringing problems upon himself. He was holy. And there's a difference. You live a holy life and you live in accordance to this word privately and as God leads you, 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 well, you live it publicly and as he leads you, you speak it publicly as he would have you to. Alright? Some people will embrace that and some will hate you and some will be indifferent to it. That's just life. But he wasn't weird just to be weird. And he wasn't a jerk just to be a jerk. If somebody thinks you're a jerk because you live for God, then that's on them. 
We just live for the Lord. I want to look at a couple of scriptures real quick before we close. In John chapter 6, we know this passage where Jesus had more than 12 disciples. He had 70 at this point. And I want you to look at John chapter 6, verse 60. 660. It says, Many therefore, as he taught them, it says, Many of, the, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It had to do with his preaching. It had to do with what he said. It's not even the point right now to, to look at what he said. The point is, it was something that God, of, of God's word to them. And at, up until this point, they had walked with him when others didn't. They walked with the Lord when others didn't. When they came to this point, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in his, himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble? Is this a snare to you? Okay? And, he's, and he goes on in verse 66. From, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So this was not the 12. This was when he had 70 at one point. And he, they walked with him. They looked just like the 12. They were amen and they were watching him be healed. They were followers of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're walking with Jesus and watching him do these miracles. And they're right there with him. Uh, he even sent him out two by two on one occasion. But it came to some point in their walk with God. Something that he said. And it says, this is hard. This is hard. I think it might be different for every person. All I want to encourage us this morning with is this. We're going to be offended by the word, by the world. In other words, it, it, we're going to be rejected. We're going to face tribulations because of the word's sake. You better know it ahead of time. I think y'all do know it, okay? But I'm just reminding us, it's not going to get better as we go through life. We're going to face tribulations because of the word of God because we really believe it and we're not ashamed to let it come out of our mouth and our lifestyle is going to reflect it and they're all looking at pornography and they're all laughing at a dirty joke in the workplace or whatever and you don't and oh you're judging us you think you're better and, and you haven't even done anything you haven't even said anything you're just not laughing at what they're laughing at or you walk away from it that's going to happen. You and I better be able to handle it. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's going to happen. We be able, better be able to handle it. We have a future and a hope that they don't have. And we need to stand fast in it. They, they may come to that someplace. Pray for them that they do. But even if they don't, we're not going to be offended and stumble. I just read about a new, in the same uh, letter, a new uh, 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 adoption policy in Canada. And it was talking about part of it, they're very liberal. Canada's more liberal than the United States even. And a new policy, this is new law, enacted law that um, it's almost impossible now for Christians to adopt a baby because they give them a litmus test about how do you feel about gay and lesbians. It's one of the questions, they, their litmus test to test them, are you qualified to adopt children? And it's like, do you agree? and hold to and support the gay and lesbian agenda or do you not? Because if you do not, you are not going to adopt a child in Canada. It's a new policy that came out. It's costly. What if this couple 
and never had a child and their heart was set upon it and they're believers and, and yet you see what I'm saying those are real things they're real tests but is God not greater than all of that can God not take care of that Christian couple and satisfy them yeah he can my, my point is that we, we have to understand not only is it going to come the temptations for the, and the trials for the word's sake not only we we're promised that it's going to come you know what I mean think it's strange not concerning the, think it not strange concerning the fire of trials which is to try you so some strange thing has happened unto you but rejoice you're may, may partaker of the Lord's glory and so forth so we have it all through the Bible, y'all. The, the one, only one in the parable. And we're going to close with this thought. So if you want to turn back to Luke chapter 8 where we started. The only one that brought forth fruit was the one that fell on good soil. What is good soil? It's a good heart. 8.15. Verse 15. But that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. And bring forth fruit with patience. The Bible says it's out of the heart, right? A good man out of the good treasures of his heart bring forth good things. So not only did they hear it, but they heard it and received it, and they continued in it. Everything about this faith and this walk with God has to do with continuing in it. It's not just, it was really good five years ago. We keep on with the Lord the same way, like we're studying in Hebrews. Not by some new way. We were saved by faith. And we'll continue to live by faith and walk by faith. But we do continue in it. And we continue to walk with the Lord. And if you look down at verse 18 of the same chapter. Take heed therefore how you hear. So it's not just a parable. And it wasn't just to those people. He's speaking even to his disciples. He's speaking to us. Take heed therefore how you hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. So we have a measure of faith. We have the Word of God in our hearts, and we have a measure of faith. And who, who has that, more is going to be given. Whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that which he seemeth to have. And so, it's, it's going to bring forth fruit only as we keep it, as we hold to it, as we walk in it. We don't want to receive God's Word in vain. It's, it's all going to be based upon... Um, it is written, and I stay in that right there, what God's Word has said. And, I, and I'm just going to close with that. And I've got some scriptures as, you're, as you begin to pray uh, and, and get at the altar or kneel at your chair and just ask God to deal with you. I've got some other scriptures I just want to read to you. But the Bible says, uh, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We have to hold fast the word of faith, the word of life. We've got to hang on to it and continue in it. Hold fast, Paul says to Timothy, the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and in love which is in Christ Jesus. It brings forth fruit. Uh, profound fruit, okay? Serious fruit in our lives. Not a temporary little fix, but a real change. An alcoholic that's no longer an alcoholic. Their alcoholism is not suppressed. They're free. Why? Because they're new in Christ. They held fast to it, and they're free from it. And the adulterous woman, adulterous man, 
They're free from that. They're not an adulterer anymore. They're new. That's not, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Those old, old things are passed away. We hold fast to the Word of God, and we continue in it. And God's going to use it. It says, with patience, those that have received the Word of God and keep it, okay, in their hearts, it will. I want to encourage you this morning that God's Word in your life, you might have been laboring a long time. I'm talking about in the Lord. You might have been praying for something for a long time and laboring, and you're holding to a scripture, you're holding to a promise. And it's been a long time, and you have not seen the fruit of it yet. God is going to do it. He is faithful. He is not going to disappoint you. He, he is going to bring it to pass. If it's His work, then you hang on to it. And you continue to trust. Don't walk off like those other disciples. This is a hard saying, who can hear it? It's, in other words, it's costing too much. Jesus, we followed you, and we've given up more than most people, but this is too, what you're requiring, or what you're saying is too much, and we can't handle it. And they walk no more with the Lord. That's what it says. He turns to the twelve and says, you're going to go away also. And Peter makes that wonderful profession, Lord, to whom would we go? We're sure that you're the Christ. You have the words of eternal life. And they stay. Well, we're sure of that this morning. And I just want us to, to spend some time. This is our altar time to get with the Lord and, and, and let God seal this in our hearts this morning. So, Father, we just come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, God. And, Lord, we're part of your church body, born of your spirit. And you said that you want to sanctify and cleanse us in your church by the washing of the water by the word. And I pray, God, that you would use the word of God to cleanse us, not just this morning, but day by day, Lord, that we would be renewed in our minds, in the spirit of our minds, God, that we would hold to the promises of God, but we would not be like those that shrink back. We would not be of those, God, that endure for a while. But we would be those that have root in, in ourselves, that the Word of God would take root and take hold, and not only spring forth and then be withered, but to spring forth and grow to a strong, healthy tree that bears fruit in its season with patience. I pray that for everyone, for the youngest person in this church, to the oldest God, that we would continue in the things which we have heard and learned, we would hold fast to those words in form of sound doctrine, God. I pray we be a people of the word. We don't worship the word, we worship God. But Lord, that we, we come to know you through your word. And I pray you strengthen us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.